Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. So today I'm joined by Maria, Arndt, Rasmus and Nadia to discuss leveraging data for sustainability. So before we get into it, let's work our way around the room with some quick introductions. So Maria, can you start things off? Yes, thank you. I'd be happy to. Uh, my name is Maria Borsen. I'm a head of research and analytics at Agia Insights, a, a renewable energy analytics and research company with a strong focus on offshore wind. I'm responsible for the development and production of our research and analytics products, which are currently focusing on emerging opportunities in offshore wind. But to an increasing degree, also looking at other renewable projects such as hydrogen and PTX. Um, I have a background there, having worked 10 years in the energy industry, both looking at energy projects, analyzing energy markets, um, covering a wide range of disciplines, including economic, commercial, and regulatory analysis, both from society perspective, but also uh, more relevant to what I'm doing now from a company perspective. Great. Nadia, do you want to go next? Yes. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm very happy to be in this round. Um, my name is Nadia Keidel. I'm a data and AI lead for fuel models at Zero North. We are a software as a service platform uh, in the maritime industry, and we support our customers with solutions to optimize uh, vessel maintenance schedules, uh, voyages, bunker planning, charter decisions, etc. And uh, in all of those, uh, fuel consumption are a core component um, of the respective uh, objective functions in order to uh, reduce for costs or CO2. Um, sustainability is something very close to my heart, uh, also in earlier jobs um, where I worked in a sustainable e-commerce um, uh, fashion uh, company for a while. So I'm really excited to uh, yeah, hear the perspectives today um, in the roundtable. Great. And Art? Thanks. Great. Uh, great being here. So I, I work in uh, the container logistics company Mask, where I've been for, for 16 years, and it's a company that has transformed quite a bit. Uh, so it actually feels like it's been uh, several different companies, and at the moment we are investing heavily in uh, leveraging technology and data, so it fits well with what we're talking about here. Um, the specific areas that I lead in, uh, two of them are relevant for the conversation today, and uh, one is that we are very focused on the ethical use of data and AI in general. So that's one of our ESG priorities. But I think the second one that I think is most relevant for today is that uh, we are also, we have a, a mission to decarbonize the logistics industry, uh, which obviously is also using uh, using data a lot, which happens and most other things out of, of my team. So great to be here. Thank you. And finally, Rasmus. Yes, hi, glad to be here. Uh, my name is Rasmus Ingeholm. I am working at Grundfos, which is uh, the world's largest manufacturer of pumps. Uh, I'm working as a lead data scientist in a department called AI Solutions, where we uh, look at what services and products uh, with AI and machine learning or data science components we can, we can help to build on top of our pumps and pumps-related services. Uh, yeah, that could be a lot of things, uh, services to monitor and predict water flows or central heating services or, or monitoring and optimization of commercial buildings. Um, so we are very much on the agenda of, of how to save energy and water and chemicals, basically. 
I'm sitting in a team where we have 15, uh, 15 people with a mix between data scientists and data engineers. Uh, this area of, of data science is relatively new to, to Quantfos. So, so we work a lot on how to sharpen our tools and how to be faster and uh, make better better products, basically, um, on data quality and machine learning quality and stuff like that. Uh, my background is uh, is uh, within uh, mathematical modeling, and I have a PhD in computer science. And um, yeah, I've been working in in the Danish industry and wind industry and defense for more than ten years as a statistician and data scientist. Great, thank you all. Um, welcome. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Uh, so now that we have established a context to each of you, let's move on to our topic in focus. So you all have questions or statements based around leveraging data for sustainability. And as usual, I will work away around the room with each of these questions and allow you to elaborate. So each of you will then have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. Okay, so first of all, I'll come back to you, Rasmus. And you want to discuss how to ensure patience in data science sustainability and also how to use it so that it's not just a nice side effect. Do you want to elaborate a little bit for us? Yeah, maybe that's two separate things. I do not know. And, and if I just take the one with the, with the, with the side effect, well, then I'm just, I'm, I'm just curious to hear this panel, whether or not they have some golden nuggets on, on how to make sure like, like sustainability that it will win uh, the agenda that it's not always that, that we can get behind that it's a, it's a, it's a side effect that it would be nice but let's just be honest money is, is always winning so if there's some maybe nudging effects or something insights that that we can discuss on how to how to um, make sure that 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 we can get it higher on the agenda um so for me so the simplest thing i can think of is is uh, visualization or, or making sure that people know what what they are what they can get and for data science project and that leads into the other part of this uh, this patience that for data science project the data driven projects typically you don't really know what you will get in the beginning so it, it it's always can we get the patience of of our stakeholders that they can actually see uh, what we are talking about so usually a project starts up with with hypothesis we think that there is something here and of course we think there is something regarding sustainability and then we start to formulate the hypothesis and make it sharp then we collect data then we make sure that the data has the right quality then we can start testing it but we're not really sure yet because we 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 can only compare with 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 a very short period of time so so that just calls for, for the stakeholders to have a lot of patience. So, so I, I, I guess I don't really have any answers. I can just see that 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 where I think it has worked, and that is on much simpler products. But you can say that on the app that you could get a sticker that is an energy class A or something like that. 
but for data science, that's just simply much more complicated because you cannot just boil it down to to an energy class. So that was a lot of words and a little bit confusing, but that 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 was. I'm just curious to hear what you have on. on do you have some insights there? Okay, great. So Maria, what about you? What do you think on this topic? I think it's a very interesting topic and I think the take of it will probably differ depending on what type of company you are. Uh, so from my perspective as a intelligence, as a service company, data is both something we use internally in order to make our analysis and do our assessment, but it's also part of the package of products that we are selling and providing to our clients. Uh, so for us, data is both something internal and external. Um, with the promoting sustainability part, um, the side effect, what, what we experience with our clients is giving them the data and information is the first step. Um, but the actionability of data, translating it into what is the impact, what does this mean, what should be done to promote a green project, to make it even greener than it is, it's often a step on top of the data itself. So understanding how it's implemented and, and what can be done about it is often something we're discussing with our clients and helping them to get further insights on. Uh, but the data on it is the starting point and is the insight where people realize, okay, something can be done here, but then what is to be done to move towards sustainability? Mm -hmm. Arndt, what about you? Yeah, I think it's, it's um... It is, it is tricky. I would offer some learning from what we have seen at least. And I think when we talk products, then to me, actually sustainability, the, the trick is to make sustainability the product, actually. Uh, mask has, uh, or shipping in general is highly commoditized. So people, they don't really see whether your container is more eco-friendly than another container. Uh, and, and the way that, that, uh, that, that changed from, let's say 10, 12 years back where nobody cared about, uh, any kind of sustainability in shipping to suddenly now being extremely hot. Uh, I think was simply that the consumers wanted. So, uh, we are a B2B company, uh, and really what, what happened was that I think our customers, they got somewhat caught in between the shipping company the one should do a bad positive impact and the consumers that were interested in paying for it and then suddenly the ones that sit in between they uh, they need to actually uh, go along with it um so i think that that has been the biggest change and 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 in addition to that we just see that that our customers they they are now voting with the with the wallet so they they start to pay for for these services and we see that uh, that picking up uh, and it becomes a flywheel in itself because uh, as the customers they get interested in it, other customers get interested in it, other consumers get interested in it, and the carriers they start challenging each other in uh, as competitors to be the one that has the most aggressive plan to decarbonize their their, their business. So then the it is about turning it into into the product. And uh, if I look at the three big ESG areas that we have. So we also have, uh, have, have data ethics, as I mentioned, but even uh, diversity uh, as, a, as a priority. All these things here absolutely have benefits from mass, but they also benefit 
our customers, partners, and society as a whole. But it's clear that Techmeter actually in our sustainability report, the what you say, the caught up the commercial angle. So to me, that's really the trick to get it moving. Okay. Well, and Brasmus, did you have something you wanted to add there? Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, great input. I'm, I'm just so so your customers are they're they're willing to pay a premium for sustainability. Is, is that what you're saying actually? Because of the consumers, I think to some of them they are and they are actually already now paying a premium for uh, or, pay, or buying we would say eco products, which we are which we are offering right. Um, and and then we can always argue on what what came first the the our the, the legal entity that is our customers that uh, they wanted to to also make a positive impact or it's a consumer it's it's probably a mix but there's no doubt that that there needs to be some sort of of indicator that there is demand for this and I, and I think that the the world at large is actually getting much more focused on these kind of things over the last 10 years and obviously our customers they are picking up that the in consumer or whatever is inside a container that 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 needs to be delivered in a more sustainable manner and that they respond i think that's that's uh again i say i remember quite vividly that this is a change that that it's not a day just 10 years back and so it's happened it happened overnight not overnight, but quick maria yeah, just to uh, just to add to what what Ade is saying, uh, the the pull effect from consumers in the segment that he's addressing can be a, a very very strong and very far-reaching pull, uh, basically pulling all the way into the industry that I'm in. Uh, so a lot of large-scale offshore wind projects around the world will be aimed towards hydrogen, which will then be used to do make shipping fuel. Um, but there'll have to be a willingness to pay for that premium which it will have compared to more conventional fuels. So if that pull effect becomes wide and big enough, it can actually have really far-reaching effects. So leveraging sustainability across very different parts of the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Art, go ahead. Yeah, that was just actually with, with what Maria said right there, just reminded me that essentially all the, the, a lot of the investments that I do as, uh, in, a, in a private sense actually goes to portfolios that are uh, specifically focused on uh, environmental uh, or sustainability impact in a positive sense, right? So that's a very good example of actually you can have consumers or private people actually try to change this around. And even though, uh, you know, I have small impact <laughs> compared to our global skin of these, then if you have uh, a million people that do the same, it starts to create, I think, the pull effect that Maria was referring to. Mm-hmm. And Hasmus? Yes. Okay. Uh, great. I'm, I'm really happy about the, the input. What about the other part? I don't know whether or not this this patience on data science project, is that something that you're also exposed to? Like, are you, the uncertainty of a project, will it actually have that sustainability that component that we thought in the beginning is that something that is resonant in your world like sometimes you close something uh yeah i think i think it's very um maybe even a very common aspect uh, in every data science project in general um uh, a build up build on a hypothesis first and a thorough experimenting and they follow up with the results and they challenging and testing on whether the result is actually uh Bulletproof. Um, I, I think it's it's not different when you're applying um, um, your models 
in order to achieve a sustainable agenda. Um, I think uh, it all comes ultimately down to to measure behavior, make the patterns visible, and ultimately also empower to act upon the learnings and findings. Because I do think um, across the industries and customers, as, as mentioned before, uh, we also observe, I mean, there's really also a pull uh, and a will to become more greener. So there is an aspect of providing tools to support people to make the best decisions to actually also um, get there. And so I think um, <laughs> maybe it's also a bit like technical depths. It's a mix of just do it, but also keep on measuring that the effects are also really what you're, what you're intending to and that, yeah, actions can be taken that are actually leading um, to uh, reach the greener goals. Mm-hmm. Art? Did you have something to add? Yeah, and actually, uh, so I think your your two questions are, are good and interconnected, actually. Because the if I go back to, to uh, if we imagine this about sustainability being the product or part of the product, uh, those things are not forever, but they are like long-term ways of looking at an agenda. And if we position data science as being a, a lever for well, that's improving the product or or whatever it is. It also becomes more sustained, I believe at least. Uh, I think from when I look at, at our teams that work with data science and AIML inside inside mass, it's we don't refer to data science projects. We prefer uh, we refer to data science and AIML as as disciplines that deliver on uh, an agenda or towards an outcome. So when when I uh, unleash our, our data scientists on our decarbonization agenda, it's not a data science project, but it has data science all over it in order to drive that necessary agenda forward. So I think it, it, it again, it's connecting it to that, I think, would be the, uh, the way forward. Mm-hmm. Nadia, was there something else you wanted to add there? And Yeah, and I think Arndt has a really crucial point there. If you, if you end up doing data science for the sake of data science, then uh, it, yeah, there's probably a, a question mark. Um, I think to have a goal that is, that is um, really rotating around how do we achieve a solution or how do we push um, a, an industry or a product forward is ultimately coming down to a, a good collaboration and not necessarily a, about a purely theoretical um, approach to something. And I think then there is really value that you that you can get out of it. So uh, I think then then it connects and then it sparks and then it inspires for for maybe really new ideas to push agendas forward. Mm-hmm. Maria, I think those are some uh, some really interesting perspectives, and and it made me think that what we are experiencing on our side is probably more an an impatience when it comes to data because it is a very rapidly developing a renewable energy world so if we were to sit down and make sure that every single tiny corner of what we're doing is like a hundred percent perfect well then the topic is gone like people have gotten their answers elsewhere and and what we could provide would probably no longer be relevant so identifying what is the data need and how can we provide data in sufficient quality and accuracy to meet that need and answer the question at hand. So do we need accuracy in, in, in meters or in centimeters? It helps us figure out 
what should we do and, and also helps align some of the, the patients or impatience about what we're doing. Okay, great. So that was a great opener question. Well, two questions from you there, Rasmus. So next we will follow on from that with Maria. And you'd like to discuss the use of anonymous client data in Insight products. Can you explain a little bit for us? Yes, thank you. Uh, I'd be happy to. So working with providing intelligence and insights in a defined sector like we do for offshore wind and renewable energy, a lot of our clients and their activities are very central parts of the industry that we're trying to analyze and trying to provide insights on. So being able to take data and information from them, uh, incorporating with them, but anonymizing it, de-identifying it, aggregating it in a way so we could use it to provide more valuable insights back to themselves, but also potentially to the industry so they can benefit from broader insights from each other without anyone knowing each other's confidential uh, information and data. Could be really valuable, is really valuable, but it's very tricky to do in practice, uh, striking that balance. So I would love to hear if it's something uh, the other people in the panel have experience with or have any considerations about how to achieve. Okay, Art, what about you? We'll come to you first. Sure, thanks. Uh, absolutely, we have experience with uh, in uh, on a number of, of, of levels, coincidentally, and that's uh, from being a business that is in many uh, such many sectors that have different service models. Um, I mean, the obvious one is is finding ways of uh, well, that's the, the masking of the data or anonymizing it. Uh, the challenge that we also find is that. Uh, that both you can still find ways of extrapolating what is the data that actually hides behind it. And secondly, then we, we see cases where uh, the poor data quality validation means that you get uh, sensitive data entered in fields where it doesn't belong. Uh, so that's also something that we have, have seen. I think the, the way that we address it is uh, both we, we run information campaigns to all our employees. Uh, so at the moment, uh, no less than uh, 60,000 people have been trained in data ethics in masks, so they know how to behave when they see this. The second bit is to make sure that the data size or the data sets are big enough and, and, and so on. So it makes it less complicated to identify the sensitive data. I think specifically to, to the point when you talk about insights products, I would consider uh, to to uh, control the, the visualization and the export functionality so you cannot have people actually extracting the data and then combining it themselves. In, in practice, what we do is uh, we have two policies in place that regulate this. So we have uh, our overall data ethics policy that tells us how we how we should uh, behave and we should not uh, uh, put our uh, employees or customers data at risk uh, and these kind of things. And then in addition, we have a data sharing policy that follows a very defined process of what needs to be in place, what are the contracts that needs to be agreed, uh, and uh, who needs to review it. So actually, for instance, uh, review all uh, data sharing in uh, AltMask um, to make sure that, so there's a bit of human in the loop to make sure that you don't get in trouble. Okay, great. 
And Maria, did you have something you wanted to add? No, it's interesting to hear how uh, how, how comprehensive but also holistic the approach is since it's both a, a, a data uh, size thing but also just human just human behavior. Uh, obviously, how people are, are, are treating and, and using the data also inside the company is is key to making sure that it's done right. So uh, very interesting uh, input, and thank you. Great. And Nadia, what about you? Yes, when uh, when hearing the questions, I think it's 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 two aspects that that pop up. Um, one is very much in line with what Arn said, so ensuring that the anonymization effect of the sheer amount of data and uh, so so the data flywheel effect takes this over, and um, that we make sure that we are modeling in a way that uh, yeah you can't kind of backtrack on individual commercially relevant data. Um, and then it's 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 pretty much uh, yeah in line with also gate gatekeeping um, the exact uh, data you're sharing back to customers, making sure that there it's really um, yeah limited to the one that they actually are supposed to have access to. Um, and I think this is really the two core pillars next to um, maybe also relevant mentioning the the technical side um, where we. Yeah, maybe then really in a more um, general cybersecurity um, area, but um, I think uh, that's sometimes uh, easy forgotten when we when you think about experimenting or quick access to data. Um, so I think that's something worth and important uh, looking into as well, for sure. But um, the core two things, yeah, definitely uh, gatekeeping on export, visualization and insights into uh, the inputs of a model. And then um, I think we're all interested in having an actual representative model coming out of it that generalizes as well. So it's very much driven by an amount of data that is also relevant. Then we find. Great. And Rasmus, what about you? Yeah, I've been thinking. Um, so, so I don't think I can add so much new. I, I, so maybe I'm thinking that, that, that this focus on GDPR, of course, it has been a nuisance, but I think it has put a lot of focus on how to control data. Uh, I think that good data management control and, and governance on data, like you all said, but I mean, we have we have sort of a role called, you know, we have a role called data owner. Uh, and that the different different offering actually is in control of who can see the data, who the exposure to it, so that we don't have to go to a centralized place and that control all the data, but that we actually, the different offering can, can control who, who gets to see the data control that the ones that knows what data is sensible sensitive um directly if that makes sense okay. great so before we move on then maria any other final thoughts on your topic um just grateful for the valuable input it, it's uh, very much in line with with topics that we've been considering but also it is quite a holistic process both from collecting the data the danish man data management confidentiality uh internal processes but also out to the gate gatekeeping that nadia is talking about and and whether it can be exported, like like Anne said, so it, it's really focusing on beginning to end uh, in order to to do something like this in in a good and meaningful way. Perfect, great, great question from yourself as well. So next we'll come to you, Arndt, uh, and you've asked how do you use data to evidence true progress on your sustainability agenda and avoid concerns with greenwashing? Do you want to elaborate a little for us? Yeah, no, absolutely, and it it goes back to uh, to these um, ESG priorities that we had, uh, or our uh, decarbonisation mission. So 
we are purpose and, and values led company. And, uh, and that means that we essentially want to do the right thing. The, the challenge that we might have is that, uh, when you have, uh, 750 vessels and you, uh, emit, I think it's 0.1% of the world's CO2 or something. It's quite crazy actually. And then, uh, some, some cynicism can creep in because your footprint is so large. Uh, but of course it also means that the opportunity is, uh, is huge. Um, and I think what, what I was curious about is that, that, uh, to hear some ideas that one can a company do to use data to both evidence, but also drive the, uh, data driven discussions on, uh, on progress and, uh, impact and, and these kind of things. Okay. Yeah. Nadia, do you want to go ahead? Uh, yeah, of course. Um. I do think it is it is ultimately about um, trustability of the models, um, I believe. So on, on, of course, critical thinking, um, challenging model decisions and approaches, and uh, maybe also integrity and uprightness as values and to drive in a team. Um, what, what we do uh, at Welcome GMO, to you first, which Rasmus. I think is, is very think? important. Oh, I'm and, sorry. Um, Could you take one other? a lot of valuable insights <laughs> also for our customers. No it's really to go with um, what we call missed potential analysis. So whenever we use and work with the products, we, in the same way as we derive models, starting with a baseline, we really try to bring back the, the effects of how we support our customers to be more uh, sustainable and to reach their targets, um, to bring it back on, on that level, to make it tangible and visible. Um, talking about a, a vessel optimization, um, uh, an optimization of a vessel's voyage, that you really look at an overall voyage, well, how did it roll out? Um, where was some deviation from the suggested route? Potentially why, but what was then, yeah, the missed potential that you can quantify if you do that. And I think that's really making it tangible um, and and answers a lot of questions around the actual effects. Mm -hmm. And Maria, what do you think? So talking about the sustainability agenda from uh, from our perspective at Akia Insights, um, it's mostly focused on our clients' activities with, with developing renewable energy projects, so helping them making faster decisions, establishing the, pro the projects faster, um, so I might take a little bit of a different route to answering Art's question, but also something that's related to shipping, something that's very much a topic of concern for people doing offshore wind is how do you document that the offshore wind is renewable, if it's converted into other fuel types, if it ends up on a ship, uh, maybe it's converted into green ammonia, put into a tank with non-green ammonia. How do you track that throughout the process? It's not something we're doing at Akia. It's a, it requires a very big, complex system with data and certificates and people being able to trust and rely on this setup. Um, but it goes all the way back to, to offshore wind or onshore wind renewable developers, for that matter. If that system cannot be trusted, their product loses its value because the next part of the chain will not be willing to pay a premium price for the renewable electricity if they cannot sell their product as a renewable shipping fuel. Um, but this is kind of, this is a data uh, challenge that cannot necessarily be solved by one company. Um, but there has to be some 
regional cooperation, authorities have to be involved, regulation has to be followed, and, and for something like shipping, it, it potentially has to be something that people will trust on a global scale. Um, so maybe I ended up expanding Anne's question rather than, than answering it. Um, but but it's a very interesting topic of how to uh, document and qualify what is green and sustainable um, in a way that people can trust without making it so complex that people will lose trust in the setup and, and, and label it as greenwashing. Super interesting. Rasmus, back to you. Any thoughts? So, yeah. Um, yes. So I'm I'm thinking very much, I, I don't know about the greenwashing, maybe uh, I, I need to understand that, what the problem there is, but on on, the, on how to make sure that you have progress. I, I'm a big advocate for baselining and, and, and benchmarking. So so how how did you how did you do before you made your changes? Comparing that, but also on a fleet level, maybe. Uh, so you're in the, the shipping business, so you know what I'm talking about. But how do you how how is how is this doing towards all other companies and and that have done something similar? Have you moved to and, and that you can r- relatively easily see. What what has been the, what is going on? Obviously, if you're improving on the greenwashing, I'm I'm completely blank. I don't really know how to to do anything there. But maybe that's just because I don't really understand the problem. So, and if you could just elaborate a little bit on on, on the problems that you see there. Yeah, no, it's, I'm not sure whether it's a problem. I think it's uh, it's 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 one that if you if you do have a lot of emissions, then uh, that certainly you have. Uh, that that decarbonization is your focus then um, uh, I, th- I think if instead of looking at at, at mass specifically there are plenty of uh, let's say uh, all companies that are in trouble on this account where they try to market themselves as being eco-friendly whereas uh, I think often there is a bit of doubt on whether that's actually the case um, so, so I think it's, it's the it's it's making sure that that never happens. To be honest, right? Mm. Because that's that's uh, what I what I would be concerned about is that that takes away the focus on what actually we're trying to accomplish, which is to make a sustainability impact. And if we need to spend time then defending what we're doing, that takes uh, that takes energy and money away from doing the right things. So I think that's where the concern comes from. And um, I think it's it's great uh, input from all of you. I made uh, some notes actually, so that's pretty good. Uh, what what our thought probably would be is still that it's about being being transparent on what you're doing. Uh, and and even though that comes with a risk, at least that means that you can have a proper discussion and address that there is a risk. Um, uh, the the specific way which is uh, that we're addressing this, which is actually similar to energy is that we use uh, a mass balancing approach. So you, when you buy shipping, you don't buy, you, you don't buy a percent, if you will. We, we don't transport that specific container on a vessel that's using renewable fuels or anything like that. But we make sure that it offsets with that investment somewhere in our infrastructure, uh, which means that we can sell, we can gradually uh, bring in more renewable fuels, but uh, without needing to to introduce a completely different infrastructure. So that's the what you would say in itself the sustainable choice. And otherwise, otherwise, then it's using uh, it's using metrics and and then get the certification and the third party auditing that that Maria was also referring to. But thanks, great input. Mm-hmm. 
Great. And finally, then we'll come to you, Nadia. And you'd like to touch on the visionary side of things, which I think we started to discuss in the beginning with our first kind of topic. Um, and how with the use of data for sustainability, there's potential to nudge customers towards a more sustainable approach. So what do you do now and what is the vision going forward? So can you explain a bit more for us there? Yes, I think uh, it rounds a bit up on, on a lot of topics that we, that we talked about tonight. Um, and what I what I'm what I'm curious to hear from your perspectives. Um, I mean, right now there is a lot on um, also combining, in a sense, a sustainable agenda with a commercial one because that makes it easier um, uh, to push it forward. There, I say, I think, um, especially at Zero North in in the shipping industry, we observe a lot of movement towards decarbonization. There's also new metrics and measures introduced like um, measuring uh, carbon intensity, for instance, so a bit like an energy rating uh, on how ships or vessels um, sail across the ocean. And um, so, so there is a lot uh, on, on this short term note, but I'm curious on, on, on when you look in your agenda, yeah, what's the long term vision? What's your version of uh, yeah, what we say around um, make global trade green? Um, we, um, for instance, what I, uh, the concrete example that I have that I found very, very cool in a way is that we, uh, ultimately, right, try to inform the customers with their commercial decisions to maybe decide on decommission, um, really bad performing vessels, bad performing as in high consuming earlier. Um, to transition maybe faster and accelerate this transition towards renewable fuels. And um, so, I'm, so I'm curious on the broader scale on what's your end state and uh, uh, yeah, on, on what you get up for in the morning, ultimately on the sustainable agenda. Yeah. Maria, how about you? This is a, this is a very interesting topic. And I think actually particularly for, for looking at something like, like offshore wind, because to a lot of people offshore wind seems already to rhyme very well and accomplish sustainability and green transition, which it absolutely does as it delivers uh, renewable electricity to the downstream consumers. Uh, but a focus that has become, people have become increasingly aware of is basically the supplier uh, scope of it. So all the steel that goes into building an offshore wind farm, how is that produced? So basically the, the downstream part of the scope three carbon emissions, how is the carbon footprint there? Um, and and now the market seems to be mature to to start focusing on that as well to make sure that it's not just uh, electricity that's green but it's actually the full life cycle of offshore wind, and um, and how we are approaching this is that we are in the process of building an a carbon footprint estimation into the model we are already providing to our clients. It helps them estimate the cost levels of offshore wind farms and and by having a, a carbon uh, footprint estimation along with that readily available, uh, even in markets where they're not necessarily a requirement at present for calculating carbon footprint, it will give the clients an awareness of how their project portfolio is performing uh, around the world and maybe nudge them towards focusing on it, even in market where the, the authorities are not asking it at the moment. Mm -hmm. 
Great. And Arndt, what about you? I think it's it's a it's a great uh, well, a lot of question. It's it's a potentially great discussion. I think the uh, to begin with notching customers. I think that's uh, again with the theme of treating sustainability as a product. Then you also go to market with it in the same way, right? So that means that uh, in our case, then uh, when you buy this, you can uh, I think you can even download the sticker or whatever that says that you as a company you are buying these products from from us. So you again can sell that off to your own customers or your own consumers. So so part of it is to is the the go to market opportunity there. Uh, I think the the uh, two other items that, that I will put in, which is uh, let's say uh, indirectly notching, um, going out and uh, well take a bit of a leap of faith on this and and marketing the uh, or market the mission in itself. Uh, means that you disrupt the the uh, the market. You disrupt the ones that are the customers of the customer, uh, and notch them uh, in that way. So investing a bit in in uh, in communication, not I mean not necessarily for your own own products and your own agenda, but because it reaches other people than your customers, so they get influenced like that. And then finally, uh, then. Uh, in this case here, we actually have an interest in collaborating with regulators, right? Because that's a real good way of, uh, I think that goes beyond notching, that goes into forcing. Uh, but we have an interest in in that. Uh, we would like the regulators to actually do this. We might have an opinion to say, what is the smartest way of doing it? But we have an interest in that, that uh, in them helping out. Um, so that's, that's what I would... Um, would end with is to see where there are collaboration opportunities there in getting the right policies, rules, regulations, and so on in place to drive this in the right direction. Great. Um, Rasmus, what about you? Yes, thank you. Great question. Um, yeah, I think like like Aunt said, like there is the the legislative way. I mean, how much can a company do? And and we need definitely help from 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 legislation to make sure that that this eleven level playing field. So, um, so I think there is something there, but I mean, I think the climate that we have right now is maybe not the best one for having global legislation on, on this one. Uh, for us here, I think some of the products we make have have all this uh, making sure that that the customer knows what what is the impact on on, on energy, water, uh, chemical. What will this solution actually mean for you? At least our best guess, but I think that we we are we are looking into that would be in more and more products. That's sort of people would need to know that upfront. And as we get more and more data, we are sort of coming with a better estimates of what that would actually be upfront, so that people don't buy into just the hypothesis, but actually pretty. And I think that will be more and more that people guarantee what what yeah. based on on some data, um, what will the impact be for the end customer. And as you said before, like the, the pull, the pull is probably there. Then, like we have seen organic food, but for for us regular customers, like now everything is organic, and probably things are going to go that way. So, I think I think the the, the trend is is in in our favor right now, at least. Okay, and Nadia, anything else you'd like to add? Ned? Yeah, I also I uh, took some notes. Thanks so much for for your thoughts on that. I think what's interesting, um, it's really the opportunity there is with data to bring in to bring in sort of a 
objective player on visibility and information and information sharing. And, and I think what's also very interesting, mentioning somewhat the role from legislation, but I also love this aspect of calculating a carbon footprint either way, even if it's maybe not regulated yet or requested yet. I think um, as organizations, we also have an opportunity there to actually go a step ahead and um, provide something that is definitely needed uh, in the times coming. So uh, I, I love that as a vision, definitely. Great. Okay. Any other thoughts anyone would like to add today with the topic? No? Okay, great. So we will leave it there for today. I just want to take this opportunity to thank you all, Nadia, Maria, Arndt and Rasmus, for providing some great insights into this really important or increasingly important topic, should I say. Um, so hopefully everyone can take something away from this discussion, including our listeners, of course. I know you guys have been making some notes along the way. Um, so thank you all for listening. And if you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I hope you've enjoyed listening. And this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. See you next time.